Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. All right. Okay, welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg and I'm your host. This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And today I have a very special guest and I'd like to let them introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you? Where are you? And how are you doing today? Hi Meg, thanks for having me here. My name is Kim Dwyer and I am a clinical psychologist. I'm in suburban Denver, Colorado, where it's currently gusting crazy wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear that in the background at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, I have a couple different prongs to my business. So I'm a, um, private practice therapist. I have my own solo practice at this point. I, in the past have uh, co-owned a group practice. Um, and I've also worked in inpatient residential and school settings. So I've kind of dabbled in a lot of different areas of work. Um, I currently also write, so I have four books that are published right now, um, one for practice owners, uh, two that are kind of a general adult adult audience, and one that's a children's picture book that also has some um, strategies for parents around coaching kids with emotion regulation and talking about feelings and, and things of that nature. Um, and then I also coach uh, mental health practice owners or those dreaming of owning their own practice in launching, growing, and redefining their practices using um, values-aligned policy building um, and behaviors and and things of that nature. So that's kind of what I do. And as far as how am I today, I am good. It's still relatively early (laughs) in my neck of the woods, so I'm still waking up a little bit, but I'm having a good start to 2022 and glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. All right. Well, as with most uh, interviews that I do, we can maybe just jump right in. Um, just wondering if you'd be open to talking a little bit about your burnout journey and where you've been sure. with that. Absolutely. So we um, chatted a little bit before we started recording. And one thing I said is I don't really have like this rock bottom, you know, big splash burnout story, but I've noticed burnout at different points in my career. And quite honestly, I can think back to like, graduate school um, and having moments of like extreme burnout and even questioning, like, should I even get this degree? Am I ever going to pay back <laughs> this loan that I took out? Yeah. Um, you know, should I just call it quits with you know, my, my program? Um, I have a PhD in clinical psych, but uh, after about a year and a half in and completing the right courses, I was awarded a master's degree. So I was like, well, I could just take this and run, <laughs> go, you know, go find a job in human resources or something, you know, that's outside of mental health. Um, so that's kind of the first point that I see that coming up in my life. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. And then, you know, throughout like different phases of work, um, I can recall definitely like noticing that burnout. Um, you know, when I think back to graduate school, I, I think part of it was 
probably needing more emotional support, um, probably would have done real well having a therapist at that point, um, which I didn't, wasn't really stressed in my graduate program. I know some programs really emphasize you really should be in therapy and mine really didn't. I don't know if that's was a philosophical thing or, or what that was about. Um, but what I ended up doing at that point, um, it's interesting. I'm like noticing themes in my life, just talking about this, <laughs> that I had connected. I ended up, I, I was working a, um, a part-time job in our community mental health center and then, you know, taking doing coursework and practicum, um, and all that. And I ended up uh, quitting the job, um, which opened up, you know, suddenly I was like, okay, now what do I do with this time? And like the time didn't cure the burnout, right? Yeah. <laughs> the burnout was deeper than like, I just don't have enough hours in the day. Um, but what I ended up filling a lot of that time with was um, creative projects. Mm-hmm. Like I remember it was like close to the holidays. I was making a lot of, you know, Christmas ornaments and things that, you know, in the grand scheme of life might not be um, earth shattering. But for me, it was really important, I think, to have that time. Um, and I also realized when I was when I had that extra time that I actually use time more productively when my time is more tightly scheduled. So having the time of not working, you know, didn't really solve the problem, mm-hmm. you know, putting the work back in and then making sure that I was like taking care of myself in ways that were not related to psychology when, you know, yeah. my whole life, all my friends, my husband and I were in the program together. So like our you know marriage <laughs> kind of revolved around psych, psych, that wasn't the only thing, obviously, but like a big part of our shared time was related to school and, and all that. So, um, having some time, you know, to do things that weren't related to work to, you know, always love plants, take care of my plants, you know, have my garden, do my craft projects, you know, spend time with my pets, things like that were also important to, to have mm-hmm. in place. Um, the next points that I recognize in terms of burnout probably weren't until I got going with private practice. So I worked in a school for a while. I worked um, outpatient uh, psychiatrist practice um, and then um, started my own practice in 2009. Um, and uh, probably you know, the beginning of, of that is like a really, there's a lot of creativity and that's a huge value for me. So like getting the practice going, marketing the practice, networking, um, all of that were exciting and, you know, kept me busy. And I think even some of the stress of like, I think we all go through when you open your doors of when is a client going to actually show up? Like, <laughs> I did the things I'm supposed to do. Where are the clients? <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and then, you know, several months in like the flow starts to turn on. And, um, I think that kept me busy for a while. And once I had it kind of under control and like was in my comfort zone with it, um, then it started to feel a little bit more stagnant. And I think in private practice, anybody who's been in practice for a while knows that like there's, there's flows, there's ebbs and flows to caseload. There's after so many years in it, you start to see the pattern like cyclically across the year of, you know, January for me has always been a quieter month, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, certain, certain times of year are much busier. So like being able to recognize that, um, and see that flow, um, was important, but also, um, there was a point, I think there were some insurance changes. I want to say it was like around 2013, 2014. I don't know, but there was a point where I remember my case still dropping pretty significantly. And I, at that point, I was hundred percent private pay. Um, and 
just kind of having like this, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up moment? Mm -hmm. Is this enough for me? Like, do I enjoy this practice? Do I, is the potential stress of where's the money coming from um, without being on insurance panels? Like, is that something that's a good fit for my personality or not? You know, I actually like went and started looking at the possibility of going to work for somebody else and in like a hospital kind of position, um, those kinds of things. And I ended up circling back to uh, private practice, but started thinking like, okay, then I'm going to make this bigger and I'm going to grow it. And I looked at um, potentially hiring somebody to work for me. I was doing a lot of testing at that time. So somebody that could um, take some of that testing load and, and that way I could take in more cases mm-hmm. um, and eventually ended up joining with another um, psychologist and starting a small group practice, um, which again was like this huge creative surge, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need a practice name, we need a logo, we need a tagline, we need a website. Like there's all this room for your creative energy, which really like lights me up. Um, you know, and even just like all the, with having a business partner, like all the conversation about it was exciting and interesting and what do we want to do? And like, there's so many possibilities. Um, so I definitely, you know, saw all of that as super exciting and potentially like, I'm sure that filled some piece of whatever wasn't, um, feeling super fulfilling in my own, you know, my solo practice. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, like other things, like the theme in my, my journey, um, got going with a group practice, um, in lots of ways things, you know, went really well with that. Um, and then, but there was, there are other parts where it didn't feel like whatever I needed to feel fulfilled with. It didn't really feel like it was pulling that up. Um, and I'd always wanted to do more work around coaching and business development. Cause that's, that's the piece of it that I really love is thinking about like, how do we structure our business? How do we mm-hmm. brand? How do we share that message with the world in a way that feels, um, really, you know, aligned and centered as opposed to like schmoozy and salesy and, yeah. and that. Right. Yeah. Um, so at that at some point along that journey, while I had the group practice, I also, um, decided to start a coaching business. Um, so like you can kind of, you know, see like, (laughs) like I'm just like fracturing myself right Mm -hmm. across like all these different things. So started going in the direction of coaching, started a new website for that, like poured myself into that while also managing this group practice. Um, and, and kind of joked about this, this way of thinking about it. Like we talk sometimes with our clients about, you know, when they're, I'm just going to get up and move and go somewhere else. It's like yeah. the geographic cure to, to mental health. And typically like whatever those difficulties are, you know, there might be like this novelty of, Oh, I'm in this new place and everything's great. Um, if there's significant, you know, stuff there, eventually like it comes out and it, you know, projects into your new relationships and workplaces and things of that nature. And I think, um, for, for me, like starting businesses and starting new projects is like the equivalent of the geographic cure, but for, you know, for somebody who's a little bit perfectionistic and, and, you know, super productive, it's like, Oh, I'll just take on something new now. Um, but it does wind up, you know, kind of, sacrificing depth for breath, I guess. So like having a lot of fingers in a lot of different pots, but like not really being able to get deeply emerged and connected with, you know, one chunk of work. So, um, so I had, you know, the management aspect of the group practice, my own clinical work, 
um, the coaching practice that I was trying to grow from, you know, from ground zero. Um, and in trying to grow the coaching practice, I started writing more and that's ended up, you know, writing several books. So then I had the, you know, the writing projects going as well. Um, so yeah, so what I've gotten better about over time um, was eventually seeing that, you know, the direction I was going in with my work was not real well aligned with the group practice. And, it, you know, the pandemic actually um, kind of made that whole, whole uh, issue easier to see, I think, <laughs> you know, when we do drill down to like, okay, what are the most important things in my life? Like that um, wasn't really filling the buckets. And at that point, you know, due to a variety of reasons, we had um, kind of cut back to just the owners, you know, working in the practice. Um, and it was an easy decision to, you know, dissolve it um, a couple summers ago. So shortly after the pandemic started. Um, but then, you know, that allowed me to be like, well, what do I really want to do? You know, now that you have this pivotal moment in time where like, it's kind of easier to say, here's all the stuff that doesn't work or that I'm tired of, or it's not serving me anymore and I'm done and I'm going to move in this direction. So I, I really made like a huge pivot in my work, um, you know, starting March, 2020 and, and taking several months to kind of really roll out what, what's this going to look like. So I shifted from working probably 50 to 70% of my work was kid and adolescent, and now it's hundred percent adult. Mm -hmm. um, probably 50% of my work was assessment. Now it's hundred percent therapy. So it's yeah. really been a nice shift, but I've been able to structure that, you know, with, with trial and error of what works for me for telehealth and what doesn't work for me for telehealth. Um, and you know, there's, there's difficult conversations that have to happen to set those boundaries. Yeah. And, um, I think that's the real challenge is, you know, if I really want this thing for myself, I want to be more satisfied and comfortable and uh, focused in my work. And I want to like basically say yes to all those things. Mm -hmm. Like I have to say no to some people. I have to end some relationships. I have to not take some, yeah. um, you know, some referrals that, you know, not only do people want help, but, you know, that's money. Basically, if you're working for yourself, I've got to turn yeah. that away. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I identify with so much of that story. Um, primarily, you know, I, I think we laughed about this a little bit before starting the recording, the geographic cure, except, you know, for the perfectionist, it's, it looks like starting multiple businesses. Um, and I laugh because like, I'm probably there right now and I'm, I am excited about the things that I'm doing and having a, <clears throat> I suppose you could call it <clears throat> like a baptism by fire experience of what does work for me and what I want to be focusing on and what, what I, what I need to let go of and, and maybe fearful of letting go of for whatever reason. Um, so it's, it's refreshing to hear that that's, you know, a pretty, pretty common experience, um, to want to, to like engage yourself in multiple different things, feeling like that will be the answer and that it is possible to, sort of refocus again and put your energy into the things that really align with your values, which we, we talked about um, prior to recording as well is like making sure that what you're doing is aligned with your values. And that I think you mentioned also not making your professional life 
the primary space where you live out those values. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, for people, I think a lot of people who are attracted to like entrepreneurial pursuits and, you know, whether we think of ourselves that way or not, like running your own practice, like you're an entrepreneur, basically you're a small business owner and you have some vision that you want to bring into your community and fill, you know, certain needs in your community. Um, but I think for folks who have that kind of entrepreneurial energy, um, it's a real, it's, I want to say it's like a slippery slope, right? Like of how much you, uh, how much of you goes into that business because mm-hmm you're always on, right? There's, there's probably some element of your brain that's still thinking about business and it's a real, um, active process to kind of turn that off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but the business can fill a lot of those values, right? Mm -hmm. We have values of service. Those are easily filled creativity. I already mentioned that can easily get filled with how you structure a business, um, how you relate to others, like relationship building, um, can easily get filled, um, even, uh, like kind of charitable giving and, you know, kind of community, like, I don't know what you call that, like advocacy and community support and all those kinds of, you know, things that are pretty common values with mental health folks, you know, we can fill that all in our business too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have to, like, that's the piece that's like, <laughs> like just because you can, doesn't mean you should all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's one thing, like I, I have been pretty defined about from the beginning is how do I use my business and, and, and that my business for me is not my charitable giving, like that's my work, Mm -hmm. um, and and really keeping that separate. And, you know, at one point, like I recognize like, okay, you're not, (laughs) you're not really giving in ways that you envisioned yourself doing as a grown up human being. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to examine a bunch of different ways I could like be involved more in my community. And I found some ways, you know, through, through like three different organizations I won't even go into, but like two of them, you know, I tried and I was like, mm, don't really love doing that. And I found one that was a really great fit and it's with um, rescue. It's with dogs and um, rescue and fostering. And um, I've been doing that for a couple of years and that's like, that's super fulfilling. And, uh, you know, it, pragmatically, it does take up some of my time. So some of that, you know, yeah. uh, need to be doing is doing, um, but it really does feel, um, fulfilling and, you know, it's not just like supporting animals that wouldn't otherwise have a life at all. And basically they'd be euthanized, but the, the connections with people that end up adopting the dogs, yeah. um, some of those connections continue. And it's like, it's a really nice, you know, way of seeing like how, how there's so many interconnections, I think through, you know, Mm -hmm. between us. Yeah. So long story to basically go back to like, you can fill those values up outside your business. Um, And if some of them might be a value that you hold, but not a good fit for your business model, like that's okay. Like Mm -hmm. you're, I don't think we do this in other fields. I don't think we go to plumbers and expect them to give you know, you need to go volunteer your time as a plumber on the weekend, or you need to drop your fee um, to serve more people as a plumber. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do that a lot to ourselves. And if that works for you as a business owner, and it aligns with your values, wonderful. If it doesn't, also wonderful. Mm -hmm. We don't have to do it that way. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that, um, I mean, it took me a while to 
first of all, like after I heard those lines of thinking, like I, I remember in grad school feeling like, oh, I don't know that I could ever do private practice because it's, it only serves the rich and it only does this and blah, 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 which is like in and of itself problematic thinking. Um, but along those same lines, like it's, it's taken me a while to understand that I can do a lot of other types of charitable giving that, like you said, are not in my business. So for me, that is like this podcast is part of that. It's an advocacy piece. Mm -hmm. I spend an hour, maybe two hours a week tops, um, you know, doing these interviews and editing and, and all that kind of stuff. And I put it out into the world. And to me, that is a super fulfilling thing because it fulfills creativity, uh, advocacy, and making connections with people. And it doesn't, it doesn't really touch my clinical work. Like we're talking about business stuff, but this is also like me just being able to have conversations with people and talk about things that are, that I've found to be important. Um, so I, I like that idea that especially as therapists and mental health providers, like we're very prone to want to make our business the one place where we fulfill every value that we have. And so just to hear that, like, you don't have to do that. You can do that in multiple areas of your life and find fulfillment in other ways. Um, I find that comforting uh, because I know for myself, I've definitely veered in that direction of putting, putting a ton of pressure on the business itself, mm -hmm. um, which just, it makes it less fun, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, especially I think when a business is young, it's like, you're growing this new thing. What does it want to be? And how, how do you really want to nurture it to, you know, to grow and develop and be really sustainable. And it's, it's almost like if you have a young child and then suddenly we're putting all these demands on this child to fulfill every need that we have, it's not mm -hmm. going to work so well. Um, you know, and, and, using that same analogy, there's lots of things about parenting that are totally fulfilling. Um, but I think, you know, you could fall into that trap as a parent of mm -hmm. every, you know, every need in my life is going to be satisfied by this child. Like therapeutically, I know we can like, like, well, that's a disaster waiting to happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's, right. it's like so yeah. understandable and so easy in, yes. in whatever realm of your life, you're looking at something. It's so easy to get into that mindset. Mm -hmm. because at first it might feel true. Like, oh my gosh, I have this new business and oh, I get to be creative and I'm now I'm my own boss and my schedule, like it can feel like it fulfills that need, but like over time, that's a um, yeah, very unsustainable way of approaching the business and interacting with it. Yeah. And that brings up for me, when you're talking about that, like the, the B word that we love um, in this business um, boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so where are those boundaries and how do you know you're up against them or that, you know, they've been violated or challenged, um, which were really great in our, even in our language of like casting blame on others, like, you know, they violated my boundary. Well, actually, no, you didn't enforce your boundary. Like mm -hmm. each of us hold the responsibility, I believe for man, it, you know, as adults, kids are a little different, but mm -hmm. we need to manage those boundaries and recognize like, when are they being crossed and what are um, our internal signals that tell us like, yeah. Hey, pay attention. Like this is a, you know, this is an issue for you. This isn't aligned with what you want or how you yeah. view relationships. And, you know, that's in all aspects of our life, but in our business, it can look like being all things to all people and then mm -hmm. being depleted and angry and sad and exhausted when we're not working. 
um, it can look at like um, feeling a lot of resentment, you know, towards our clients, towards our referral partners, towards our coworkers. Um, all those things can be really good signs that, you know, we need to take a look at not just what our boundaries are, but how we're communicating them to others mm -hmm. and, and um, kind of standing up for them. And, and I think about it as a business owner, when you're a sole proprietor, you've got the unique circumstance of wearing the hat of the business owner, wearing the hat of the employee, yeah. and then representing the business and thinking as all of those entities, like what does the business need from me? Like, do I need to enforce a boundary for the business that's good for the business, even if maybe it, you know, personally in my own pulling out of the business, like I can see why a client might want access to me you know, until nine o'clock at night. And, you know, I can also see that, you know, my employee who is also me mm -hmm. does not want to work oh, at, nine no. at night, right? Yep. <laughs> In my case, this employee's mental functioning is not so great after about seven o'clock at night. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have to be able to like, you know, and then the business owner probably wants to satisfy the clientele and make them happy and have the money coming in. So like we have all these competing um, needs and values mm -hmm. that we kind of have to parse out and, and represent yeah. and do it in a way that's going to like align with the business. Like how do you set those boundaries around the business mm -hmm. in a way that, um, you know, is as compassionate as possible even to the clients. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking about that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm thinking of too, like a lot of the folks who still work in, in employment type positions where they're at a CMH or a nonprofit or maybe a government agency. And just thinking about how without casting shade, because I know that every organization is different. And it, I mean, just in what you're talking about here, you have multiple people then who are trying to manage multiple layers of a business from the top to the bottom. Um, and I, I'm a very much a systems perspective person where I do place more responsibility on those higher up to manage the environment for employees, make sure that it's equitable and fair. Um, but the, the sort of uh, correlation that I'm drawing is like a lot of us who come into private practice come from those environments. And we learn from those environments, different messages, like the top level business prioritizes bringing in money, pro like productivity, all this kind of stuff. Middle management is concerned about pleasing, you know, upper management, but also serving the employees. And then the employees, the people who are doing the service work, they have this really strong desire to be of service. And so when you go into private practice or a group practice, as you're talking about, you have to be able to balance all of those roles as if you were actually the manager. I mean, you are, but like those different people and also try to not repeat the very things that probably burned you out in the first place. Like the lessons that you learned from upper management and the middle management people, like as best as they are trying, there's probably some stuff that they taught you that is not going to serve you well within your practice. Um, at least I found that for myself because even in wanting to make sure I'm not repeating those things, um, I found myself bringing some of that mentality with me into my private practice. And it's been like, oh no, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's tricky too, because, you know, in addition to those structural pieces that we may have gotten in like 
earlier jobs or training kind of centers. I mean, most, at least speaking for myself, my graduate program, I want to say pro probably 100%, at least 95% of our placement opportunities were public mental health. So um, community-based agencies, community mental health centers, um, there were there were some that were uh, hospital-based, which I actually don't know how that fits this model, but more public than private, I think, in terms of the way things are structured. Um, and a lot of stories, you know, along the way of, you know, I heard pretty much word for word, you know, going over to private practices, like going to the dark side, you know, like this idea that um, some value judgment on who we're serving and that the true work is serving, you know, the indigent, the chronically mentally ill. Um, and it's really important to serve those folks and for there to be service for those folks. And mm -hmm. not all of us are ideally suited to be serving those folks. Mm -hmm. And there's also lots of people on all levels of income that have mental health needs and mm -hmm. that's okay. It's okay mm -hmm. to serve, you know, across the whole spectrum of, of income and severity and, and all mm -hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like I've heard similar phrasing around like going to the dark side. Um, and it, yeah, that, I guess it feels frustrating and understandable, but also something that I'd like to see attitudes shift in this regard, right? Like all of us coming together and understanding that there is need at every single level and that every single level has an ideal clinician who will love the work that they do at that level um, from the folks who work in like the nonprofit you know, uh, free service level all the way up to people who charge premium fees, everything in between. Um, it, it's frustrating because it creates such like divisions within our community itself and within the profession, which like, it would be so cool if we could all just come together um, without that judgment and looking at somebody negatively for whatever environment they feel most suited for. But. Yeah. And when you're talking about that, I'm also thinking like when we feel those feelings, if we feel those feelings, and I think it's pretty normal at some point that you're mm -hmm. going to see somebody else's career and feel some like envy or jealousy or, and that might get, I don't know, like kind of defend against that by being judgy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing the real work, you know, okay. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've heard that language too, the real work, which is just kind of crazy when we step away from that. Um, but if we can recognize like, there's nothing wrong with feeling jealousy. Like, you know, I think like we're so like, that's so antithetical to a lot of our society's values and, you know, religious values, but like, it's just reality of being human. Mm -hmm. And all it means is somebody's got something I want and I don't have that. So use that information. Like, how can you get some of that? If that's yeah. what you really want, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, it doesn't have to be like, okay, now they're bad. Like instead we project it out, that person's bad or they made bad choices or I would never have that kind of life. Well, okay maybe instead of that, can like, you just sit with that feeling and mm. listen to what, what it's telling you, you know, I want some more. Okay. There's nothing wrong with wanting some more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what I feel like I encountered, um, 
And it, it didn't happen so much when I was like, when I was burnt out, I was much more of the mindset of like, nope, I'm not for this world. I definitely want to go over here, start my own thing. Mm-hmm. But earlier in my career, um, I definitely had paired with those feelings of jealousy for other people's success, this like self-belief that I was not the type of person who could make my own business work, the, the type of clinician to whom clients would actually um, voluntarily decide to come work with. Um, I saw that as like, that's for other people, um, which is like actually a pretty major theme in my life as I'm thinking about it. Cause one of my earliest episodes of the show is like, Oh, burnout is for other people. I don't, that's not going to be my, <laughs> which hello. Okay. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not real. <laughs> um, but like this, this theme of just like, either I am not good enough to deserve that, or I am exempt from that, which I imagine like a lot of people can feel when they're in those positions. Like if they're not ideally suited to nonprofit or CMH work and they're there, I imagine a lot of folks end up feeling like they're working outside of their value systems, but there's no way for them to be able to get to a place that could actually feel good. Um, and to, to be in a practice that aligns with what they want. Right. And that's a really scary jumping off point too, because, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to what you just said, if they like recognize there's aspects of my work that don't work for me and I don't see myself going anywhere else. So then that's a real stuck feeling mm-hmm. compounded with, hopefully this isn't happening everywhere, but I do definitely, I have seen it myself in public spaces of, you know, this is the real work. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, these people that are like people that are leaving are, are judged and yeah. not always treated very nicely on their way out the door. Um, which I think is fear, but it, you know, ends up misplaced and, and kind of villainizes people who are, you know, doing what's best for them, what's best yeah. for their family, what's best for their business, what's frankly best for their clients, because if they're feeling, you know, engaged and, and aligned with their work, they're going to do better work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we get somebody who's feeling stuck and then we've got the pressures, you know, from the system that are keeping them stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be, you know, it can be a real disastrous kind of spot yeah. to be in I think especially yeah. because I've always felt this way um and I'm sure other professions do this as well but in mental health I think we really feed the young to the lions you know like mm-hmm. the hardest jobs are the ones that the least prepared people I, I think about like jobs I had before I went to graduate school yeah. and situations I was in that like I would never place like, 21 year old with no experience in that kind of position, I would be like, if I were their supervisor, I'd be like with them, like holding their hand through it. And, mm-hmm. um, I can remember that as, you know, pretty uncomfortable to go through. And maybe mm-hmm. now, you know, 25 years later, I can say like, that was a great learning experience for me, but at the time, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised I stayed, stayed in the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you imagine like, those are really great opportunities to learn. Um, and so that's a multi-layered thing as well. Cause we, when we do that baptism by fire, right? Like whatever you want to call it, we're just throwing folks in there, go figure it out. Um, figure it out. And there, there is supervision, obviously like with the ethics and the legality of it, there are supervisors, hopefully. Um, 
And yeah, most people do come away saying, what a great experience. And I wonder if they had more of that like guidance or somebody joining them or somebody like ushering them through the process instead of just throwing them into the fire, how much better it could really be if we had the resources available to do that. Um, And another point, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, um, when it comes to the judgments that we place on other therapists um, or professionals, whatever realm of work that you do, when you leave uh, uh, the real work, quote unquote, (laughs) the judgment is there and it can be harsh um, based on the community that you've been in and the work environment. And what's interesting to me about that is I cannot for the life of me ever imagine sitting across from a client of mine who's telling me I'm leaving this workplace where I'm not paid enough or it's way too much work for me or it's not aligned with my values. So I'm going to a place like, you know, I'm starting a business or I'm going somewhere where they pay me more. I can never ever imagine sitting across from them and being like, wow, can't believe you're doing that. You're just, you're, you're leaving people for something like that. That's like, how dare you? That's such a a great way of describing it. Cause yeah, yeah, like, as you describe that, if my client were doing that, I'd be like, go you like, yeah, empowered, you know, let me support you. And sure. There's parts of the transition that are hard, but like how great that you recognize what your needs are and you're finding Mm -hmm. ways of fulfilling them in the world. Um, and why is it so easy for us to do that for our clients? Yeah. Or to do it for ourselves. Right. Such a, such a double standard, like, and, and yeah, I don't have the answer for that. I I think there's some, like, there's the inbuilt cultural conversation around what it means to be a good helper, a good therapist, what people expect of you. And that naturally gets filtered into the conversations that we have amongst ourselves and this, um, this image that, that we want to project as a, as an industry and much of the image I align with, right? Like compassionate and supportive and empowering and like ushering clients through a process of change. I love that. Um, but parts of it, like being a martyr, I'm not, I'm not down with that. (laughs) Um, and I'm, I'm not down with the, the judgment of other people who decide that they don't want to sacrifice everything else in their lives for the purpose of helping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I think another um, value piece that came up for me as you were talking was, you know, the idea of service and what does it mean to serve? Mm -hmm. Not just what does it mean to serve, but also who do I, who am I ideally suited to serve Mm -hmm. best um, through my skills, through my personality, through like the way my business is structured and, and how my employee, which is me, you know, needs to show up for her own family outside of work. Um, and, and that's tricky. So that can get us into, you know, working, you know, starting work at nine in the morning and working until eight o'clock at night, because we've got, you know, the people that want that early appointment before they go to work. Um, and the, you know, the kids and teens that, you know, need to be seen, need Mm -hmm. the operative word after school hours. And, um, because a lot of my work, uh, through most of my career, most of my private practice has, um, included kids and teens, you know, I did a lot of that. And then, um, I can remember, you know, the, the feeling of like, 
somebody else is watching my kids. Not that I'm babysitting other people's kids, but somebody else is watching my kids so that I can be emotionally available to someone else's child. And yes, I am getting compensated for it, but yeah. Yeah. And I can't even tell you what comes after that, but like, it's a, this feeling that I have of like, is this really the choice that you want for your own family that, mm-hmm. you know, when you, me, when I could have been there to, um, you know, to sit and handhold through homework that the after-school program was providing that instead of me. And yeah. I, I know some part of that is the reality of working parents and, and mm-hmm. not having someone who's hundred percent at home. Um, but you know, it is a choice you know, we, we kind of like sometimes land in these situations, like, well, this is just how it is, but actually like, this is how I structured my life and my business. So this is a choice that I made. And at the end of the day, do I feel really great about that choice? Mm -hmm. Um, and over time I, I shifted, even when I was still working with kids and teens, I shifted my work so that I was done at three and I was able to pick my kids up from school because I recognized this is important to me. I was established enough in my private practice that people that wanted to see me, like I told them up front, like my last appointment's at two o'clock, that works for you, lovely. If it doesn't, here's some other people that are wonderful that have evening appointments. Mm -hmm. And I did turn away a lot of work that way, Mm -hmm. Um, but I felt good about it. You know, I, I felt like... I'm running the business the way I want to run the business. Because yeah. I can tell you those kids, you know, that I saw at five o'clock at night and, you know, I'm playing Uno and talking about emotions with them when my kids are at home having dinner without me. Like yeah. I felt resentment around that. And that was important to listen to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking about my own experiences with that too, especially it's so it's 2022, but 2021, I was working with a group practice and I was in a very similar position where I don't have my own children. I have a stepson. Um, and I had very recently like moved in with my now husband. So we were establishing ourselves as a couple living together. Um, of course, all during a pandemic. And prior to that, like I moved from several States away to be with him here. So there's, there's a lot within that. And I was, I was often working evenings. Um, when I, when I started with that group practice, the owner said, well, you could decide to only work days, but then you wouldn't probably get as many people coming to you because they want evenings, uh, which at the time to my fresh young brain was like, oh yeah, of course. And I, I wish that somebody had kind of shown me a different perspective, but I did end up working a lot of nights. Um, and I worked a half an hour away. And so there was at least an hour of commute time. And and I had this conversation with my husband recently and he's like, you know, when you're that involved with it and when you're that, like when you're away that much or emotionally involved with your work to an extent that you are depleted at the end of the day, like when you're done, I don't feel like I get the same person I know. Like I get somebody different who comes to this late dinner that we're having somebody who's like more depleted, less energetic, not really fully there. And that was a hard thing to hear from, you know, my, my new husband, somebody have trying to establish our living patterns together. I was like, shit. Yeah. I, I spend much of my day or I did spend much of my day emotionally accommodating and like accommodating within my schedule and being way, way too flexible uh, for my own needs. 
mm-hmm. um, to accommodate other people's needs mm-hmm. to the point where, yeah, my family was not getting the best of me. They weren't, they weren't able to engage with the, the Megan that they know and want around, which was, it was painful to hear, but I think also really important for me to recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm happy for you that you had that insight like early, you know, in, in that journey, because, um, I think without, you know, and, and maybe some of it was like the circumstances of fresh transitions and, you know, being able to see it really clearly, but I think for, you know, for a lot of people it can just be like this gradual slide into, you know, whoever I am isn't there anymore mm-hmm. in the evening, you know, for, for myself, that it was putting boundaries around the time that I'm available to work so that I wasn't resentful that, you know, I'm here with you all in my office rather than at home with my own family. Yeah. Um, it was also um, putting boundaries around how many clients I take on in a day, mm-hmm. you know, because theoretically I could do, I could do eight clients like oh. I have at, at times yeah. in the past, you mm-hmm. know, I, we um, were in Colorado and we've been in Colorado most of, most of my career. Um, but for a short period of time, um, we moved to a very rural um, Southern area and I had an hour commute to get to the mm-hmm. psychiatrist that I worked for. So an hour each way, like, and not like Denver driving an hour would be I don't know if there's traffic, it could be like 20 miles. It's not super far, yeah. but it's like 50 miles of like through like mountains basically Ooh, to get yeah. to where I'm working. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I would start, you know, I, I think I started at nine in order to get the timing of getting kids dropped off where they needed to be and, and getting there. And then um, they would schedule me until I put some parameter parameters around it. They would schedule me 45 minute back-to-back appointments pretty much all day. So mm. I started at nine and worked until I think I, I told them I wouldn't work any later than six. Cause I had such a long drive to get home. Um, but that could have been like eight or nine clients yeah. and even, you know, that, and then the drive, it's like, yeah, I physically was able to show up and do that work. And I, I think I did good work therapeutically, but I was toast after that. Oh, you yeah. know, my ability yeah. to problem solve my own emotion regulation was poor because, you know, I don't think I think when we're holding so many boundaries for our clients who don't necessarily have them and we're, you know, we're constantly engaging in that, it's just a whole lot more draining than being in like healthy relationship with somebody who can manage their own boundaries and we can just show up and be. Um, And in that particular situation, because of the way that the practice was structured, it was a private practice, but we took every single insurance out there. Um, Mm -hmm. So it felt it lived and breathed more like community mental health kind of um, yeah. setting. So like we had a lot of, you know, different levels of need and some pretty, you know, intense, um, you know, chronic stuff going on. So mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty much fried by the time I like slogged through the door um, mm-hmm. you know, at seven, seven thirty at night. So, you know, for me, it's what works really well is I see five clients, you know, during my work day and that's that. And I have an hour break at some point in there. I'm not doing five hours straight, but I've got like a lunch break so I can get up and stretch and go outside for a little bit or do whatever is going to help me to like reset my own Mm -hmm. emotion skills. Um, is how many days do I work? You know, how much time do I truly need to do like the administrative stuff of a practice, which has to be attended to or the whole practice falls apart. Yeah. And then what's going to fill me back up so I can show up and do the work, you know, and that's stuff in my personal life, but it's also like having non-client facing relationships within the business. So 
you know, being part of networking groups, doing, you know, retreat kinds of things from time to time that are gonna, you know, help me grow, you know, listening to, you know, podcasts that are gonna be fulfilling, Mm -hmm. doing, doing education stuff that's gonna, you know, broaden my skills or deepen my skills in ways that are gonna be helpful to my clients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, especially for those folks who are new to their own business, if they decide to open up shop, um, those, and I'm speaking of myself too, those are not things that I initially considered when I was building my schedule, when I was considering like all of the needs that, again, those layers of the business, the owner, the administrative, the employee, like they all have different needs. Um, and folding it all into one, it's, it is a challenge to consider, but having that space open, like I, so I recently joined a business coaching program, which has essentially forced me to open up a two hour block of time every single Wednesday, which is great for me where that's, it's either a learning space or a space where I get some coaching or it's a co-working space for me. I'm like, this is not to be touched for a year. Wednesdays, from 12 to two, nothing at all client folks focused. Um, that's for me as the business. Um, in addition to like each, each day that I work, yeah, having at least an hour in the day where I can eat food first of all. Um, but also like catch up on my notes and catch up on my emails and check on, check on the things that I need to check on. Um, those were not skills that I was taught in other workplace settings, um, especially when things were more managed for me, when my caseload was decided for me, when um, it was just kind of like, here you go, jump in, figure it out. It wasn't, it wasn't a skill that was emphasized or taught. So it's, it's been bumpy. And I'll, I guess I'll, I'll say this to folks, if you are in the space of considering opening a practice, uh, listen to what, what Kimberly has to say, like, you need to schedule those times yeah. that are not client facing. It's essential mm-hmm. to the business. Yeah, you have to, you have to treat them as sacred, sacred oh, yeah. space, you know, that this doesn't get touched. And, you know, if you have the personality where you can flex that, like one week it's on, you know, Monday at noon and the next week it's on, you know, Wednesday at three, like that's great as long as it's definitely happening. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do like for myself, the consistency of, you know, I've got day, I've got, I, see clients three days of the week and my other two days I'm working on, um, usually my clinical stuff doesn't roll over so much onto those days, but those are the days that I'm writing. And those are the days Mm -hmm. that I'm working with my coaching clients. And then I'm doing things that are therapy adjacent as opposed to like, you know, direct service. Um, but I also think something you said a, a moment ago made me think of this, like when we're thinking about, you know, ourselves as owner, manager and employee really thinking about our mission um, and even writing out like you know mission statement for the business of how the business serves well and and more than those three people how the business serves the owner of the business Mm -hmm. how the business serves the employees um, even if it's single of the business and how the business serves the community Um, because that's you know when we have these you know public facing um businesses like we're doing it for you know there's something in there that we're doing we're not just sitting you know hold up and um you know just writing all day or doing something that's not um even that 
is to serve, but it's not, you know, as directly publicly facing. Yeah. Um, but I think if we can get really clear about, you know, what are my goals as a business owner? And those might be financial goals and that's okay. Um, what are my goals as an employee? You know, what kind of a business do I want to work for? What structure do I want around my work day? Um, what kind of clients do I want to see? And that's a really hard one because that business owner part of your brain might be saying like, take all the clients, take all the yeah. clients. And that employee part might be saying, no, <laughs> you do really bad with this kind of client. Like you will not be happy yeah. <laughs> if you schedule them. Um, and I, I am sure everyone in private practice has at least one story of a client that was not a good fit. And usually those are the ones we remember because, you know, sometimes they explode in our face and <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not a fun one to like shovel out from. Um, but, and then, you know, how, how we're serving the community and that can really help to inform how we network and market. You know, if I'm um, really passionate about not just serving, you know, for myself, not just serving folks with anxiety disorders and, and dealing with transitions, but also making that information available to the public, you know, that's gonna inform like how I show up in a networking group, how I talk to a physician about the work that I do. Um, it's gonna empower and, um, you know, kind of fuel the time that I spend writing because, you know, that's, you know, sharing that information in a non-clinical way, you know, with the general population. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely a uh, multi-pronged approach that needs to be taken. Um, But when done, when done in consideration of all those different areas, um, I can only imagine that that would create a business that maybe won't prevent burnout a hundred percent, but definitely protects against it pretty well. Um, if you can think, think simultaneously as those different parts, business owner, employee, um, community member, all the ways that you want to be able to show up. And then based on those values, structuring things around that rather than the other way around trying to fit your values into something that maybe doesn't work so well for you. Yeah, and then I think having the, I think it's probably confidence, but the confidence to recognize when those uncomfortable emotions come up, mm-hmm. you know, we don't just have to avoid them and you know fix whatever it is to make that feeling go away. But like, can we just, you know, bring some mindful attention to what's coming up emotionally for us and mm-hmm. sit with it? And often, I think when we get quiet enough. And you know, turn off the chatter as much as possible and just really sit with it. Like whatever it is will come up. Like for mm-hmm. me, that sometimes like it takes, like I have to go through a process of um, either doing something physically to get like the energy out of my body or um, just like having a chunk of time where there's nothing scheduled. And, and sometimes that feels really uncomfortable. Like I don't know what to do now. And then eventually like, like I've been quiet enough that like whatever story I need to hear, whatever, and, and I shouldn't have said story. It's not really a story. Like whatever truth frankly is mm-hmm. that I need to hear, I've gotten quiet enough that I can hear it. Yeah. 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 That's true. Once, once you are able to find those moments to sit with the, dis- the discomfort of being quiet mm-hmm. and to ride that out essentially until you get to the other side and you're just quiet. Yeah, that, that tends to be a good place for those truths to, to be able to make themselves known um, once all that chatter has been calmed a bit, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Well, it does look like we are 
almost out of our time for the day, but I do usually like to ask my guests uh, towards the end of the show, um, if you were to leave the audience with maybe a thought to reflect on or just something to chew on as they uh, finish up listening and go on with their day, uh, what would you want them to think about or what would you want them to know? I would want them to know and, and hopefully like dig into like roots into this, that whatever is best for them and whatever, you know, their truth is and their journey is, is there already. It's in there. And it's just, it's a matter of listening to it, you know, being vulnerable enough to like look at the parts that are ugly and uncomfortable when they come up um, and to use that, you know, to try and just use that all as information you know, that those uncomfortable times are, are just information about our values and that probably that something's gone you know uh kind of perpendicular to our values as opposed mm -hmm. to parallel to our values um but that that can all be valuable information and and um they can sit with it and and hopefully use it to guide the direction that they're going in yeah absolutely all right. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm certain that the audience has gotten a lot of really valuable information from you. So I definitely appreciate it. Great. Thank you. And for folks who are looking for a little bit more, my website is Dr. Kim Dwyer, D-R-K-I-M-D-W-Y-E-R.com. And I have kind of like a, a entry page that directs you if you're looking for clinical services, coaching, or um, information about books. So there's a there's a lot of um, information on there and I have blogs on there too. So there's info for um, practice owners too. Awesome. Yeah. I will put that in the show notes for sure. So people can find that. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.